This is, this is the interesting piece too, is how often on social media, when I've spoken up about um, religious trauma, religious abuse, which is what it is like being told that you're going to go to hell. If you do these things, that is absolutely horrific to do that to a child period. There is no historical evidence of anything. And it's really bizarre how unconscious that space is. Um, But, but when you think about how often someone leaves that fold and then they are berated and constantly retold, you misunderstood this, this, and this, I didn't misunderstand anything. I was committed to this for years and it cost me, so much. Yeah. And the moment I stepped away, the moment I started questioning, the moment I raised my hand is the moment I actually found truth right. and learned to, you know, feel whole as a human and not constantly terrified about what was to come. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Wish I on a pot on go with the rainbow by the time Clancy. Wish I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go ahead and run, I'ma check. Wish I had no other same most beat, I'ma check. Wishing for my people. Uh. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own beach and we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much we're high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high lows. Feel like James Brown, love we go ahead and dance. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champion. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn Seifert. I'm your host, and this is episode number 175. And it's my conversation with Nate Pulstewait. Now, I've been waiting to get Nate on the show for a long time. I've messaged him, I think, twice, maybe once. I don't remember. Um, and he was super busy, so I'm, I would love to talk. But I'm busy now. Whenever whenever somebody says I would love to talk, but I'm busy, I always say, you know what? I'll follow up with them again, and I'll ask a second time or a third time until they tell me to go away. <laughs> I'm not interested, which nobody's ever done to me. Um, but if somebody told me not to message anymore, obviously I wouldn't. But uh, he was kind enough to say this time around, yes, I have the space. Like, let's make it happen. And I'm really, really excited to share this episode with you. Uh, Nate does inner child work. And that's a very new concept to me. And uh, I'm not going to try to explain it now because it's too much to explain. Uh, it's very new to me, so I'll probably definitely botch it up. Uh, but Nate's going to explain all about it in the episode. And he also uh, listens, a, he listens a lot to my story. Uh, because I listened to a lot of other podcasts that he was on. And if you want to know his story, just go search his name and you know his story's out there. He, he can tell you his story on numerous podcasts. But I wanted to do a different perspective and I wanted to share my story with him of what I think is religious trauma that I picked up in a private Christian school, uh, even college, seminary, church, just some ideas about God, faith, the narrative of the Bible that really had a negative effect on me and my life. And for the longest time, I'll share it in the episode, I thought it was a demon inside of me causing all sorts of problems. That's what I was told. All the the stuff that I was struggling with in terms of of doubt and different things like that. And I've only come to realize now, recently, that the voice inside is not a demon, but a a smaller version of myself uh, mimicking or parroting back to me the theology, the teachings that he was taught about God and himself. That he's a sinner, he was born bad, 
sin nature, all that other kind of crap. So Nate listens to my story, uh, asks me some really precise, intentional questions to help me go deeper. And it was like really like a, a live therapy session. And a couple of times, like I, I was really taken aback by the feelings I was having inside in regards to the conversation we were having, the questions he was asking me. And it was heavy, heavy stuff. Like I, I had actually, I had my journal open taking a little bit of notes when we were talking and when we were done, I'm like, I gotta, I gotta process some of this. Cause this is, this is like, unlike any other episode that we've had, uh, he really helped me deal with some stuff on the spot. And so my, my intention in sharing my story with him was because I know a lot of our listeners are kind of in the same boat, uh, and stepping out of that world of evangelicalism into the more progressive thinking deconstruction world, whatever. And so a lot of people who listen to this show are asking the same kinds of questions. So I was hoping that in me sharing my story, uh, hearing how Nate uh, spoke to me would then help you kind of find words uh, for your own story as well. And so I hope, it's my hope, my, my, my prayer, my hope is that this episode uh, does, that, does that for you. Um, it's, it's a good one. Yeah. And normally, I should say too, just getting myself lost in the the conversation that we had because I'm thinking back on it now. Uh, but we usually release episodes on Mondays. This is Wednesday uh, because October 31st, just a few days away, uh, Nate is starting an online course. And uh, the course is called uh, Healing the Younger You. And it's on his website, uh, natewrites.com. You can go see it. It's 98 bucks for the course. They also have scholarships available if you can't swing that. Uh, they want everybody to be part of this. Uh, but he, it's an inner child course, and it's a, it's a community event. There's other people involved. There's live Q&A with Nate, lots of different stuff going on. But uh, it's going to launch October 31st. It runs through November 28th. And so I wanted to get this episode out uh, before that event so that you could hear about it and uh, hopefully go and sign up for it if that's something that you can do uh, financially and have the space for it also uh, in your life. And if you don't have the space for it in your life, make the space for it because this is important stuff, um, important stuff. And the event, as I understand it, is very accessible, meaning it's not like you you have to do certain things at certain times. Like it's, you can work it around your schedule. And so do it. Do your best to work this around your schedule because this is important stuff. As you're gonna hear in this episode, you might not, right now you might think to yourself, I don't need this. But when you're done hearing Nate talk to me, you're gonna say, oh, <laughs> yes, this is something that I need uh, in my life. So I'll put the link to his stuff uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, so head over there and check that out um, after the episode. Also in the show notes, special music today is from my friend Young Citizen. Uh, he's a hip-hop artist in Charlotte, North Carolina, somebody I worked with at Apple for a long time. He's a really good friend of mine. Uh, there's some new music he's coming out with, and that music is in the show today. Uh, so head over to Apple Music, Spotify, check it out, uh, Young Citizen, Y-U-N-G, Young Citizen. Also in the show notes, uh, Patreon and Buy Me a Coffee, two places to go to support the show financially. So if this has encouraged you, uh, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith, uh, head over there, check it out, multiple ways to give. Uh, all the money, just to be transparent with you, uh, goes to buy our groceries, goes to pay the bills, goes to do all the things because uh, I quit my job a few weeks ago to pour more attention into this and to some social media gigs that I have um, as well. Uh, this is my life's work. 
and uh, I love it. And uh, I hope that it has inspired you and uh, helped you deepen your faith and uh, your your journey with the divine as, as well. We have 38 uh, Patreon supporters. Thank you to all of you uh, who support the show. Uh, even if you don't support the show, thanks for listening. Thanks for passing it on. Uh, thanks for commenting. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, thank you for being for being you. So all that to say, I'm going to be quiet. Uh, we're going to roll the tape. This is episode number 175 with my friend Nate Pulstawait. Enjoy. Yeah. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but the brighter days ahead. It's going to get started, we can do what we want to wake up. Wake up, wake up. get your morning started. Oh. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Wake up, wake up. Got myself to see the big picture You not alone, I'm right there with ya Trust me, get up Guess I gotta be more stricter Keep my head up, getting more slicker I know, yeah Gotta move my feet, put in the motion I know that every door I walk up to is bound to open Wish it all could be so easy, I insert a token Hit that thing on both sides, if the size is broken Move on, oven cooking, I be on the slow grind Anything I put my mind up to, I bound to be mine Best to get it by my way, follow suit and fall the line Hope you got it, hope you get it, go and check the guidelines, yo Wake up Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're joined by a brand new guest, uh, someone who I learned about on Instagram, have been following and learning from ever since, uh, Nate Postawaite. So Nate, welcome to the podcast, my friend. It's an honor to spend time with you. My pleasure. Glad to be here. So my wife and I are really uh, big fans, followers of your work, which we'll get to in a moment. But first, perhaps the most important thing, I understand you're a food critic of chocolate chip cookies. Is that correct? <laughs> That's what I'm told. My wife told me you have to ask him about chocolate chip cookies. I think, you know, the thing is, is like people ask all these personal questions. <laughs> I think when you have a growing Instagram following, they assume that you have this really fascinating life and I don't, right. I'm not a foodie. And so when people <laughs> ask like, well, what, what matters to you the most? I say books and chocolate chip cookies. Right. Um, my life is just really quite dull to be honest, but I, yeah, I am a chocolate chip cookie connoisseur. That's funny. My wife was going to, we were going to try to make chocolate chip cookies and ship them to you so we could both share from the same batch while we were talking, but we just couldn't figure out how to make it work in the time crunch. I'm like, just forget it. I'll just ask them. Yeah. You like nuts or no nuts? None. Yeah. It's got to be pure, right? You got to be pure. Yeah. Absolutely. So your work um, centered around inner child work. And before we get too much into that discussion, uh, maybe for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, maybe they haven't visited your Instagram account. Um, who are you? Kind of what do you do? And what's the give us a quick blurb about Nate? Yeah, I left my career a few years ago. I had been in real estate for 13 years mm-hmm. and um, kind of had this uh, trilogy of big events. Um, I came out when I was 38, right before I turned 39. And then I turned 40 the next year. And then I left my career the next year and um, began traveling and always felt like I had these stories inside that I wanted to get out. Writing has always been like a really pure form of healing and therapy for me. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what would it look like if I started just sharing openly, you know, some of the processes of what I've overcome as far as childhood trauma and a lot of the religious abuse. And I didn't anticipate it building a community that wasn't really on the agenda. Of course, I wanted to speak on behalf of other survivors who felt like their voices weren't heard 
But what ended up happening was this, it's like in every corner, we're all surrounding each other and validating the experiences and, and being able to address the fact that we have felt so overlooked and continue to live our lives in ways that feel inundated with bad advice and really inappropriate cliches that are put on us constantly telling us that this is how you're supposed to show up in the world. And none of it has any foundation around fact when it comes to our brains, our bodies, our nervous systems, and how we're responding to things that happened a long time ago. Yeah. I love that you said that you didn't plan on building a following because isn't that how it often works? Like you, you just want to go out there and just put your stuff out there. It's almost like therapy for you to kind of process mm -hmm. through the stuff while you're creating the work and people are like, yeah, me too. Like I felt that too. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, there's people in your boat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's what we did with the podcast. Like I came from a very evangelical background and just dealing with a lot of my own stuff, my own questions. And I started just, you know, what? I was going to start asking my questions publicly and see what happens. And people are like, oh, I've thought of that too. And then it kind of puts words, I think, what other people are feeling and experiencing. The organic piece of that is like, especially when you're talking about trauma, mm -hmm. there's very little room to, I think, I don't want to say digest, ingest another sure. guru who knows everything. Right. And I think that that's why this space is really growing a lot because mm -hmm. it's an open dialogue of um, everything that we've been taught about how to heal is really inappropriate. So much, so much of it is rooted in a lack of information and how do we learn to encourage and help one another with the validation affirmation that no one's process is going to be like someone else's. That's really good. So inner child work, if you could like maybe define that for us, because I've only come across this really is new to me the last like two, maybe three years, but like maybe talk to us a little bit about what it is. Like, does everybody have an inner child? Um, like assuming you do, like, how do you begin to recognize that this inner child is doing something inside yeah. of you? Do they ever grow up? And like, why is it so important to you? So maybe just give us some context around that. Yeah. So there was a lot of confusion around the conversations and there was a lot of confusion for me in therapy. I think I started inner child work around 12, 13 years ago. And when my therapist tried to present this younger version of me who had this pain and these experiences, no matter how he related, I, I did not interpret it as someone that I really wanted to get to know. I kept it thinking, oh, we get rid of this inner child. We make them go away. And everything at that point in my life was out of survival. So therapy in itself was hurry and make me feel better. Yeah. And what I found several years ago was this um, experience where I had a stack of pictures of myself from being you know, four years old up until mm -hmm. in my early thirties, when I had a pretty significant shift with my mental health, that was quite scary and mm -hmm. life altering life or death for quite yeah. some time. Yeah. And um, what I did was I took all of these photos of myself and I put them in a timeline on my wall. I got to this place where I felt like no one ever taught me how to have a relationship with these parts of myself. I never mm. understood that. So I, I laid these photos out on the wall and I printed off every poem, every paragraph from a book that really meant a lot to me. And I surrounded the photos with that for about a month. Every night I would have this ceremony where I closed the curtains, lit candles, and I would read off a specific quote and then apply it to one of those pictures. Wow. Mm. When I could see the visible evidence in these photos, I've posted photos here and there before. Mm -hmm. um, there's no way to look at me as a child and not say, 
holy shit, this kid is being abused. It's yeah. quite clear mm-hmm. that he is horrified. He is completely detached. And um, I think as an adult, there was a, that was the biggest shift for me where I was able to acknowledge these stories are real. Does this six-year-old still live and exist? No, he does not. But his memories do. What he absorbed Mm -hmm. as a six-year-old from a six-year-old's perspective is still very alive in my subconscious. Like that, that's the human condition is that what we experience at those times, it does create quite a bit of discourse in our nervous systems and how we view the world and those in it. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of created my own way of connecting with my inner child. And and the reason inner child work is so important to me is because it is the only avenue that's helped me create compassion for myself. All of the other avenues that were fine, but again, I approached them as please relieve my pain as quickly as possible. Instead of help me integrate all of these things that live inside of me, help me start to address things at the root and become a human being who feels pleasure and Mm. peace and safe inside of his old mind and body Mm. and inner child work for sure was the, the path for me. Yeah. So it's almost like, are you, you almost have to like help that inner child grow up a little bit, maybe perhaps is it, is it like, you know, if that, if that inner child didn't have a, maybe a parental system at home that was um, like invested in them, like, is it about you as an adult kind of coming alongside of that smaller version of yourself and helping them grow up a little bit? They don't grow up because Mm. their experiences are real. They integrate into who you are and they release their perception Uh, and trust that someone else is taking it from there. So it's a version of looking at, you know, okay, when I was 10, this specific thing happened. Oh my God, I did not realize I still have that perception around those things as a 20 year old, as a 30 year old, as a 40 year old. My job is to go to that 10 year old, work through that experience, validate them, help them feel safe so that they can release their expectation and perception of how to respond to those things and Mm. feel like I've got this. I'm fully complete and aware. And I think that that's where a lot of people get hung up as they think either I want to make them grow up or I want to make them go away or become someone different. Yeah. There's no desire for your subconscious to do any of those things other than just for you Mm. to feel the relief of, Oh, I finally tapped in to the part of me who carried pain. Yeah. And I had to see it from their viewpoint because that's when it happened. And once I did that, I felt like a whole person in a, in a different way. That's really good. Cause a lot of the people I've heard, especially like in the more evangelical world, whenever I came from like in seminary and stuff like that, when this topic would come up, it was about helping that little boy grow up. And it was almost like that little boy is going to go away and he's going to become a man. And then you're going to you know move on with your life. But to hear, I think that's a really unique way to look at it for me, just because I was always trying to figure out how can I get rid of this child? How can I, you know, make this child get bigger, force this child into maturity but in reality, that's not really what it's about. So that's, that's helpful perspective. Yeah. Thank you. So I wanted to gear some of my questions. I told you about this earlier, but just to kind of set it up for our listeners um, towards the more religious space, because that's where I, uh, even yourself and a lot of our listeners come from. And for me, it's going to feel more like a, probably a therapy session in a moment, but I want to share with you a little bit about my background to kind of set the stage for my, my questions. I have two really big questions that I wanted to, to ask you. 
But uh, I grew up in a very conservative, again, evangelical world, which you're familiar with. And so the, the narrative of, of life or spirituality, whatever that I was given, was that since I inherited Adam and Eve's sin, right, I was born with this, this sin nature, meaning I was born bad, I'm more or less detestable to God. And because I'm detestable to God for something that I didn't really even do because I didn't commit Adam and Eve's sin, they did it. God couldn't stand to look at me you know, because of my sin nature. So I had to be, I had to be punished. And I was then told that Jesus, you know, came to earth and he lived this perfect life. And he, he died in my place. He, he took my punishment uh, that I apparently deserved. And I was told that in order to escape God's judgment and when I would die and, you know, go to hell and all that kind of stuff, like in order to escape that, I had to believe this very specific set of things, theologies, doctrines, say a special prayer, I uh, get this golden ticket to heaven and this escape card from, from hell. And I was also told that one day, uh, maybe before I die, Jesus might come back. Um, and if he does come back, he's going to take with him all the people who said the prayer. They're going to get to go to heaven. Everybody else is going to get, get left behind. And saying all that out loud, like now sounds ridiculous to me, right? But it's ingrained in my head since I was like a six or seven year old little boy. And even though today, you know, I've rejected 99.9% of that. Um, what I really wanted to ask you is like, in regards to the topic of the inner child, how does that kind of narrative affect one's inner child? Like, how does, what is that? How does that baggage show up in, you know, an adult life when they have a little child inside who's wrestling with that stuff that they heard when they were six or seven years old, like this idea that I'm bad and I'm so bad that I was born bad. There's nothing that I could do to erase it. I'm just a bad human being like what does that have what kind of effect does it have on an inner child that's a really great question when you how old are you now i'm 39 when you talk about rejecting those ideas 99.9 percent of them why do you reject them now um i i the whole thing that opened up for me was when i had a daughter um and i've talked about this on the podcast before that i remember sitting in the nicu because she was in the nicu i was in there all by myself because my wife was upstairs um she was still out she was under and I was looking in this tank at this little child. And I thought to myself, how can this child be sinful? <laughs> that was just like an eye-opening moment for me. Like, how can this little child be detestable in the eyes of God? And that kind of sent me down this rabbit hole, this trail of asking a lot of different questions. I'm like, if God is a good, good father, how can he look at us? And how can he look at me in a differently than I look at my child? I, I think I'm a halfway decent father, <laughs> you know, but I don't look at my child if they did this horrible person, but how could God look at me and think that when I haven't done anything, anything wrong? Now you're able to articulate that very clearly mm -hmm. from a very pure perspective and a very loving perspective at 39, that young boy growing up in an environment with those examples defining who he is what would he give to trade places with your daughter to have a parent look at him and say how could i ever call this precious boy sinful yeah the way that you're describing your mm -hmm. daughter is the same reality that you deserved from a parent mm -hmm. but you have to consider how have those things impacted the way that your body and your mind responds to your value and your worth. If from birth, you were born into an environment that says you're no good without God, you are no good. Here are all of the rules and things that you have to do to prove yourself. Yeah. 
it's it's really uh can i swear on here go for it <laughs> let it rip <laughs> it's it's such a mind fuck for a kid when yeah. you think about um you know hey you're unconditionally loved if mm-hmm. and that list is unbelievable well then it's not unconditional love it's very conditioned yeah what child is going to have I mean, so, so you think about yourself as at five years old you're a you're 23 years away from full brain development you're human there's not a whole lot of avenues for you at five to say I can't get what can't wait to get out of this environment because my parents are really missing the point get this level of mm-hmm. vulnerability and being molded to adapt to your environment you're there out of survival. So if your survival is based on identifying and accepting being this person who was born bad and needs to do all of these things Mm -hmm. in order to feel safe and valuable as a human, that is a lot for your body and your mind to carry. That's a lot of conflict. Yeah. And I should clarify too. I mean, home, it was very different because I went to a private Christian school. So from the fourth through 12th grades, and it was very evangelical school. Um, at home, it was different. Like my father, which I'll talk about in a moment, was very verbally abusive to me. My mother gave me really all that love and affection that I feel like I, I needed, that I deserved. I mean, it was, you know, she was of the mindset that you're, you're loved because you're you. You know, like that was it. There's nothing you had to do to earn my love. But when I went to school and I was sat in these Bible classes, these chapel services, the message I was getting about God, about this deity in the universe, which is very different. And I feel like hearing that really in Bible classes every single day, chapel service every single week, church on Sundays every single week, like that message got so ingrained into my head that is as great as it was that, you know, my, my mother gave me that, that love, that adoration that every child should have. All these other forces were coming in from like the religious world, but I feel like really almost screamed over that voice, if that makes sense. It does. And listen, we respond to threat. So if your mother's giving you love and safety, you're not going to respond and need to protect yourself from that because you Mm. become conditioned to feel like I know Mm. she is a safe person, but our body's always going to respond to threat more than comfort, threat more than security, threat more than safety. Because it's that hypervigilance that says something about this makes me uncertain or afraid. So that's, that's going to be a big, big part of why that overriding Mm. took place is because that was threatening safety to be told, here are the things Mm. that you have to do in order to exhale or ever arrive. And listen, this is what's so bizarre about the Christian culture. The evangelical space is so... Um, first of all, wildly uneducated. When I see the reports, when you break down the, the level of education and what people are exposed to, evangelical Christians are at the very bottom of the list of just awareness of what goes on in the world yep. and that, that we actually are like, everything is faith-based. So it's no matter what faith is bigger than that. Well, it's yep. not really faith. It's these ideas that if you follow these rules, you are terrified, but as long as you stay committed to that thing, that's where you find your comfort. And, and that world is their masterminds at getting you into that perfect little corner 
where you're able to say, as long as you are here and don't peek your head out, don't step outside of this environment, don't accept people different from you, you'll be fine. The moment you push on any level with anything that has to do with science, education, awareness, humanity, we are going to turn you inside out because that's not why we're teaching you these things. That's right. That's right. Yeah. When I started this podcast, I mean, the podcast is about, you know, what if there are ways of thinking about God and faith that are different than what our traditions have handed us. So it's really just rethinking a lot of stuff about whether it's Jesus and the cross, or it's about heaven and hell or whatever it is, just asking questions. Like, you know, there's other ways to think about this stuff than the ways that we've been handed over the course of our lifetime. And I remember I was still in seminary at the time when I started the podcast because it went in conjunction with my dissertation. And I started to get like messages from like the dean of the seminary who I'd known for you know 20 years, you know, different professors, different students who you know I was in school with saying to me, like, I'm really concerned about, about you. You know, like you're asking all these questions and you just have to have faith. And you know, you're going against Orthodox Christianity. And just like I've really started to sense this like questions are definitely not welcome here because as soon as I ask them, I'm looked at extremely differently. My worth within the, you know, denomination within the school felt like it was immediately diminished. And, you know, there was a sense of really being cast out. There's even been like family members who, you know, are very uh, staunchly evangelical and they've been really dissatisfied with our, our shift and the questions and things like that. So what you're saying is hundred percent correct. And think about the inability to accept someone who thinks different from you. Mm-hmm. It, 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 this is, this is the interesting piece too, is how often on social media, when I've spoken up about um, religious trauma, religious abuse, yep. which is what it is like yep. being told that you're going to go to hell. If you do these things, that is absolutely horrific to do that to a child period. Yeah. Yeah. There is no historical evidence of anything. And it's really bizarre how unconscious that space is. Yeah. Um, but, but when you think about how often someone leaves that fold and then they are berated and constantly retold, you misunderstood this, this, and this, I didn't misunderstand anything. Yeah. I was committed to this for years and it cost me so much. And the moment I stepped away, the moment I started questioning, the moment I raised my hand is the moment I actually found truth and learned to, you know, feel whole as a human and not constantly terrified about what was to come. Yeah. There's been so much freedom. Like I was always told that there would be, you know, if you go down the road of asking questions, you're not, you're never going to feel comfortable again. Your, your life's going to be all over the place. There has not been anything more comforting to me than being able to ask questions and actually use my mind in order to think, Hey, like maybe this thing I was told is not like that. And maybe it's more like this and be able to just really just go down these different paths. It's been so freeing to me and eye opening. And that little child inside of me just feels like loose. You know, I don't feel like I'm chained up anymore. I have to stay in this little, this little bubble where the whole world is going to fall apart. I'm curious how, what you experienced as a child, how does it show up in your life now? Oh man, that was going to be, so that was going to be the next piece of my question. Um, for years, uh, I mean, years, ever since I can remember, there's been a voice inside of my head that sometimes whispers, sometimes it screams and it says that you are not good enough. Uh, you'll never amount to anything. There's something wrong with you. Like even with this podcast, like There'll be times I'm sitting down here talking to somebody who's done 160 episodes and I can 
I can think of at least 60, 70 of them where I sat down this computer terrified to start the record button because immediately that voice starts. You don't have anything good to say. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing this. So Nate doesn't want to hear what you have to say, like those kind of things. And so mixed with the church stuff, like I said before, my, my father was very verbally and emotionally abusive and said the most terrible things uh, to both me and my mother. And so I know that the voice inside, at least I think, uh, mimics probably a lot of things that he's heard from both my father and from the church. But then I went to Bible college and I went to seminary and again, very evangelical. And I was told that this voice inside was a demon. And so I went through, you know, literally countless sessions of prayer, uh, exorcisms where, you know, a group of people would come around me. They would try to cast this, this demon out. It was often called a demon of self-doubt self-condemnation, self-hatred, shame. And the prayers were like, you know, we command you to come out in the name of Jesus. We could command you to be silent. We command you to go to hell where you came from. And the voice would always go away for a while, but inevitably it would come back, you know, slowly weeks, months, maybe even a year later. And I was often made to feel like it came back because I'm doing something wrong. You know, like I reopened up the door to the, the devil and I'm not reading my Bible enough, going to church enough, you know, whatever. So a year or so ago, a friend had suggested to me that, hey, perhaps, you know, that's not a demon. Perhaps it's your, your inner child. It's a smaller version of yourself. So kind of to answer your question, the way that it comes up for me is just daily dealing with this voice in my head, whether it's on parent and how I parent, the kind of husband I am, the kind of son I am, the kind of podcaster I am, the kind of writer I am, whatever it is, it's not good enough. You're not good enough and you're never going to be good enough. So that's kind of how it peaks his head up uh, today. Thank you for sharing that. I think when you talk about people praying to cast out demons, when it's literally low self-esteem. Yeah. I mean, just the, the audacity to create such a horrific narrative yeah. to say, to say that you have, you have a demon inside of you. How old were you the first time that that approach took place where there was evidence of someone saying, I don't like the way he's showing up with his questions or response or this thing inside of him. How old were you the first time those conversations started taking place? Uh, you mean about like there being a demon or? or? Or just as a whole of there's clearly something here that you had been verbal about how much you were struggling with your self-worth. Oh, I would say probably high school, you know, maybe. Yeah. Definitely. Then, Probably what, ninth, what, ninth or 10th grade. Yeah. What was the response? Uh, the response was, you know, just in high school, it was more, you know, you just got to believe in yourself and you just gotta, you know, you just, you just have to speak more positively to yourself. And that was really about it. And it wasn't until I got to really to college because it was Bible college where I was just really made to feel like there's something, something wrong with me, you know, and there's just like, it's, you want to go into ministry, but you're never going to be able to be good in ministry if you're not an, an extrovert and you're, you know, really putting yourself out there. And like, it was just always a very shame based. I always felt very ashamed that like, there was something, something wrong with me that I feel this way. If you can answer this question in the mm -hmm. most honest way possible, how do you genuinely feel about that 14, 15 year old version of you in high school? When you think of him, what is your honest view of him? Um, I will say that for a while, I really hated him, but now kind of where I am in my life now, I wish I could just give him a hug. Like, I wish I could just tell him there's nothing wrong with you. 
<laughs> like well, all this stuff around you, you know, what you're hearing from these teachers or hearing from, you know, our father, like it's none of it's true. And what about that younger kid, the five, six year old? I wish I could do for him what I would do for my daughter. Like if she came home and told me that, you know, she heard this, this, and this from this student or this teacher or this pastor, I would put her on my knee and say, you know, look at me in the eyes. Like none of that is true. Mm. None of it. Yeah. That's beautiful. that's that's the essence of inner child work for you to be able to recognize this message that comes up is deeply rooted in parts of my life that were extremely vulnerable and I did not get what I needed in that place to be grounded to be supported to be aware so the more that voice comes up the more you're able to take a deep breath and say I remember these roots I remember why this had so much impact because it was a much younger version of me who did not have the ability to know that what he was being told was not true. The more you can go to that younger version of you to say, Hey, I know why you think that this is fact, but you have to trust that you are absolute gold the way this message was presented to you was quite unfair and it had nothing to do with you. My job now is to make sure that you're safe, that you feel seen, that you feel heard. So I want you to turn that narrative over to me so that you can rest and be in this space with me and not feel like you need to protect me or remind me of your pain. What happens is we all walk through situations on a daily basis where we are triggered by something that has lived in us for 30, 40 years. And we don't even realize how deep that root is. And it's being able to pause and say, this is a real experience. (laughs) Um, Having any issue around low self-esteem is it's a real experience. Mm -hmm. You know, just being mindful or thinking positive has no impact whatsoever on reality or the deep roots of these types of things. There's really no such thing. It doesn't, that doesn't really work, Mm -hmm. but learning to see where, where is this rooted? Mm -hmm. And from a very present place saying, I don't want that part of me showing up in my life, creating chaos and anxiety for me because of their experience, because of those triggers feeling like, oh, we're re-experiencing something again. And you better believe these subconscious parts of us, they have recorded what happened, but they've recorded it at a place where they didn't have proper support. And that thought process is very limited to their maturity level, their understanding. Mm. It's being able to be present and say, oh, as much as I hate thinking about that part of my life, as much as it makes my chest pound and my face flushed. I have to rescue that part of me so that they know I can handle what comes my way, but not when they're creating so much chaos from old pain. Do you find often like, is it, do you think it's very often in the church where the inner child is mistaken for a demon? Like, is that, do you think that's common, like a common thing that happens in the church, like specifically in the church world that believes in demons and stuff like that? Like, do you think like how often, if you had to put like a number on it percentage wise, do you think that, you know, when a church thinks there's something demonic going on, that there's actually 
the inner child who's calling out for help. I mean, I think that that's giving the church a lot of credit mm. to, to place any person in a position where you're saying that there's a demon in you is sick yeah, and, and abusive. So, I mean, yes. whether it's the inner sure. child or someone who's struggling as an adult or that just shouldn't be happening regardless. I yeah. think to, I think that's just giving them way too much credit mm. um, to even, to even say that they're misdiagnosing something mm. as being demon possessed when there is no such sure. thing as being sure. demon possessed. That's just sure. disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's my, like, I'm thinking back just cause I had, I mean, I was in that environment for nine, 10 years, like in, in, in a, in school. And so literally having classes, you know, called like power encounter where we would really talk about the demonic world and inner healing and things like that. Like I've literally seen, seen stuff, you know, and just like hearing people tell their stories like in class and immediately having it labeled as demonic. Now I'm looking back on like having this knowledge about inner child and like hearing these people's stories. Like I wonder, you know, if this particular person's story that I heard in this particular class was really the inner child when it was just labeled a demon. And what you said earlier you know, it's, it's, a, it's, like a, it's like a quick fix, you know, because like we want, we want a quick fix. And I just want this cast the thing out and just let me leave the classroom and go on with my life. And there was that, that sense of putting all of your hope kind of in this bag that this thing, if this person who's in front of me is able to cast this thing out, my whole life could be better. Yeah. 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 It's so unfortunate that that language even exists. It is. Yeah. At this, at this, in 2021, it's really unfortunate. So what can somebody like me like me do like we talked a little bit about like speaking to that inner child but like our listeners are kind of in the same boat um you know someone has a story similar to mine you know what can we do to really begin to heal ourselves from that or at least start to begin to heal that inner child um from some sort of religious trauma because like again i imagine like if if as a child you know you're constantly told by your father your pastor that you're no good um and then you know all of a sudden you you get this thing labeled as a demon now you're trying to cast it out. Like it's almost like just reintegrating the shame that the inner child already feels because now you're, you're yelling at this child because <laughs> you're, you're commanding it to come out. You're commanding it to go to hell. It's like, you're just layering more shame on top. So like, as somebody is like now hitting the pause button saying like, wait a minute, I'm going to start rethinking this stuff. Like what can somebody begin to do practically um, in day-to-day situations to really bring healing to this, to this child? Look, through the lens of the age you were when you heard Mm. that information. So it's very easy for us to articulate and say, I can't believe that's what I heard. That was ridiculous. There are parts of myself that I've held in contempt in ways that I didn't even realize because I was so angry that they stayed in that environment for so long where my role is actually to go back to that place and look at it the way that they saw it. When you're able to do that, because I think that we often say, well, no, I actually feel this way now, today. You think you do, but that's how present this subconscious part of you who's carried so much pain has shaped the way that you see everything. Yeah, They would give anything to find relief. Mm. Start questioning, how old was I when I learned this message? And how did I interpret that? And was that okay? And the, the answer is always no, it was no. not okay. Yeah. Um, because kids don't know how to interpret stuff like that. Like this mm-hmm. is, it's, it's too much information. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't complement humanity or connect in a safe or healthy way at all. Is it helpful to have like, 
I don't know, is it helpful to have like a, like a, you said you have younger pictures of yourself, like to have, carry that with you. Like I'm thinking like, say, say somebody's issue, like whether it's low self-esteem or whatever comes up like at work, right? Like if they step into the bathroom for a moment to kind of gather themselves, it helped to like have a picture of yourself to like, look at the picture and like almost speak to yourself. Cause I'm thinking like when things happen, like in the moment and you're trying to kind of get on with your life, but the, the inner child clearly needs something inside. Like, what is it, what can you do like quickly to help address that thing? So you don't feel like the inner child doesn't feel like you're ignoring him or her, like you're pushing them away, but you're, you're addressing the thing that needs to be addressed. Breath work has been the most helpful thing for me to close my eyes, breathe deeply and visualize that younger version of me and what they need in that moment. I think pictures are really helpful because they tell such clear stories. Listen, we have this living inside of our body. We have these experiences that are very real and very present that need a voice so that that younger version of us has the ability to step up, be present and feel like, oh, I don't have to carry this anymore. I don't have to trigger you anymore. I don't have to be so engaged in your anxiety and the way that you navigate life because I know that my story has finally been laid to rest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a picture can be, it can be helpful Mm -hmm. that, you know, that visual of this helps me remember how old I was when I heard this and not apply a demand for myself at my age, but, but question, what was it like at six to hear that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. I think it's, I think that's, that's helpful. And it's helpful. I think you said earlier too, to acknowledge that what you experienced was trauma. Because I think so often we, you know, for myself, it's easy to say, well, that was just bad teaching or, you know, that was, that person didn't really know what they were talking about or whatever. But I think once you really label it for what it is, there's a sense of compassion that goes out to that child, because like you said, no child should have to endure that. And so once you were able to really put on, put the name onto it as to what it was, it becomes much easier to embrace that part of yourself. Right. So last question for you, um, let's talk about resources, if you could. Um, first of all, like what books have you found helpful about this stuff? Because I searched inner child on Amazon and there's just a whole lot of stuff that comes up and I don't really know what, what is good and what isn't good, but what, what's particular resources or writers or spaces online have you gone to, to really say, this is really good work that these people are doing. Um, and then also, I know you're doing a whole lot of stuff as well. And I have a course coming up. Um, so maybe plug your own stuff, you know, in there as well. I would say, you know, around, there's not a lot around inner child work. Not, uh, yeah. John Bradshaw wrote homecoming okay. around, I think it was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. That has been a very popular book, very well received, very helpful to a lot of people. Um, I've got a whole link of resources on my website. I would say more beneficial are the trauma focused um, drama. Uh, the drama of a gifted child by Alice Miller is mm-hmm. a profound book. Um, I think books like secretly seduced on covert incest in families by Dr. Kenneth Adams is extremely powerful. Um, there are a lot of these uh, books that tend to be not promoted as much that are, are life-changing and survivors get them and they speak to such a, a deep part of them. I love M. Scott Peck's work. Um, People of the Lie was transformational for me. Um, but I would say go to my website, which is natewrites.com and look okay. at the resources page. And there's tons of books, podcasts, different things. And then as far as my work, um, we launched this course, Healing the Younger You, and um, had no idea what to expect, but uh, it, it blew up. I yeah. mean, and it created this community of people that when it ended, they said, 
no, what do we, ha- what do we do to make this not end? Yeah. And so instead of selling like a recorded version of the course, we just keep doing it live whenever we can. And I'm doing my last live round in November um, for several months, just because we need a break from it. It's a lot of work, but basically it's four weeks of going through inner child work. The videos are only 15 to 20 minutes because I think we're all sick of looking at screens during the (laughs) last year and a half. (laughs) Um, So I kept that part short and then you've Mm -hmm. got a worksheet attached to each, each module. Mm -hmm. And um, if you do that worksheet, you then participate with the live Q and a that week and it's other survivors telling their stories Mm. of overcoming childhood trauma. And it's this beautiful experience of other people saying, Holy shit. I had no idea there were other people that know this kind of pain because childhood trauma is so isolating Mm -hmm. religious trauma. So isolating. Um, it's also very, very hard to see and very easy to adapt to being at fault. Yeah. So I think knowing that there are other people is really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we made the course as affordable as possible. And then also have a sponsorship program where if someone can't afford it, there are tons of other people that are paying for other people to take the course, which is, we're trying to make it a very inclusive community event because, you know, one of the things I've learned from writing publicly the last couple of years around trauma mm-hmm. is that I would say 80% of my followers will never have the financial resources to get help. And um, that's horrific. That's really horrific. I I was very uneducated and very unaware about how out of reach so much of that was. So I'm trying to create more um, tools and resources where people can feel connected. We're launching an online community at the beginning of the year that will be either like a donation-based or sliding scale Mm. where people can come together and everybody's included and they have a zip code search where they can find other people near them and tons of posts and blogs and things where they start to realize I am not by myself. I'm um, I've replaced those four corners of condemnation and evil with other survivors saying, gotcha covered. And that's what we all need. That's so good. I love to what you said about the price because I went to your website, I looked it up and it is very affordable. Um, I've gone like, I feel like whenever I find somebody like yourself, who's doing really good work and I'm like, Oh, cool. They got a course. You go to the courses. It's like, it's, it's, it's not, it's not feasible for me. Like to look, you know, to look at the price tag. It's like, it doesn't even work, but you, you have a low price tag, but you also have the scholarship information as well. And I think that that's so important to people, because especially people like myself coming out of that religious world, that's just not something that you see in the religious world. First of all, it's, we don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about that stuff because just pray more and you'll be fine. But, right. the, you know, then there's also just that piece of, um, you know, we're, we're going to charge an exorbitant amount of money for this thing that we're putting out there, but you're not doing that. And I think that speaks volumes. Good. Yeah. Good. Awesome. Well, hey, Nate, we're just about out of time, um, but I had a lot of fun doing this. Uh, thank you for the little therapy session. I feel like I have a lot of things to uh, process. I have my journal in front of me, so I'm going to probably do some of that. Wish I had more days, you know how I go. New routine, always on the ball. 
ducks in a row, levitating, even regulating in my headspace, meditating, just to keep me sane, ain't no hesitation, oh yeah, spin around the world, glad to be alive, most my bros couldn't even make it past 25, maybe it be smart to be more cautious, focus on the wins than the losses, going crazy trying to figure out the causes, think we smarter than the average like we flawless, so focused, determined, I found my conscience, unsolved, unlocked it, just turned to false. I was taught to have no fear inside, making sure I'm standing tall and I'm on the front line. We about to go to war, I'ma put up a fight, I'ma be about mine, just protecting my life. Yeah. They know how to act Women two steps ahead And that's a known fact Please believe I knew from day one That we both attract Eating sushi, you're paying the first day Looked into your eyes I knew this my soulmate Treat me like a king Make sure that I don't skate You're the queen, take the throne Make sure that we all straight uh, Talk for hours till the sun come up And you caught on to my tricks So I ran out of luck I'ma be right by your side Like a sign on the truck Always gonna be your protection and you won't have to duck, yeah. Years later, decided to tie the knot. It's all about levels, we made it up to the top. On the platform, get ready, we taking off. We under one name, it's written up in the law. Oh. 